Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Level Up Human. The comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how we can make it better. We're taking suggestions from our panel, our audience, and the natural world to work out exactly what the next stage in human evolution can be. We're putting together a to-do list for human evolution. Uh, We're trying to figure out what we'd like to put in its lunchbox. I'm your host, Simon Watts, and today I'm joined by three standard-issue humans in the form of our guests. Judging to see if their ideas are worth incorporating into the future editions of our species, on my immediate left we have Ben Vanderveld. Ben is a comedian, actor, improviser, presenter, and also you host The Good Ship, isn't that right? Uh, I do. It is one of London's longest-running independent comedy clubs. It's not actually on a ship, though, is it? Sadly, (laughs) it's not actually on a ship. That's disappointing. Okay. <laughs> what kind of thing would you like to see in the next stage of human evolution? In the next stage of human evolution, I would, uh, I would like sci-fi movies to get something absolutely bang on right. They're always dystopias, though. Like, is that not a... Oh, that's a really good point. Okay. <laughs> okay, I would, I would like it. Is there, a, is there a happy sci-fi film? Is there a happy... Actually, audience, can we think of a happy sci-fi film? Oh, Blade Runner. They're really happy. Really? <laughs> well, the last last few reels are fairly happy. I mean, he sort of drives off into the distance with somebody he's quite fond of. I mean, Possible. I guess in The Martian, he does come home. Matt Damon coming home is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want for a thousand years' time. I want Matt Damon to come and redeem us all. Okay. Oh, 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 can we get a mic, Tim? Actually, so this was a genuine question. Actually, it just occurred to me. I can't think of a happy sci-fi movie. Ending of Star Wars 6. Uh, Ending of Star Wars 6? Yeah. Which one's that? It's the one where they blow up the, de- the second Death Star, where they blow up the second Death Star, and they're all uh, kind of sitting on Endor well, in the this, forest. I, I, with, the Ewoks, with the Ewoks, yeah. with the fairy things, oh, yeah. That's, that's not a reason. Yeah, because we're, Ewoks. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I'm, I hear this, we're going to get into such an argument, and this is going to derail the entire thing. Star Wars isn't sci-fi. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, is it? It's, it's blooming fantasy in space. They've got ninjas with mind warp, and it's even set in the past. Have you thought about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's historical drama, if it's any 
anyway, we don't have time for this. We're going to move on. So uh, pitching ideas, because we can only take one idea each, each week. On my immediate right, we have Catherine Green. Catherine's a researcher at Oxford University. Her interest is in how our genetic material, our chromosomes and all the stuff that's inside them stay stable over time. Do we stay stable over time? I think we see my deteriorate mother. over time. Yes, our, our evolution has evolved for us to, to try and stay stable over time, but we don't always succeed. No. I, I feel like I'm, oh, I'm, I'm aging. Everybody yes, is. I you don't are. That. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm getting more and more unstable. <laughs> <laughs> So you're going to tell us some ideas. We also have on our far right here, we have Russell Foster. <laughs> Russell heads up the Nuffield Laboratory of Ophthalmology and is a director of the Sleep and Circadian Neuroscience Institute. Uh, you're a professor of circadian neuroscience. Does that mean that you're allowed to nap at work? If I want to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the privilege of being a professor. Oh, just, that's all professors. All yeah, professors. Yeah. Sleep why, why did you get so interested in sleep? Uh, because it's 36% of our entire biology and it's been ignored and marginalised. I think it's the most extraordinary thing, we, one of the most extraordinary things we do. Nobody knows much about it. That's the best reason I can think of. Well, not only are we going to get reasons from our experts, so you can see we're going to put forward excellent ideas, but we're also going to get suggestions from our live audience here at the Amy Theatre in Oxfordshire Science Festival. Give everyone a warm welcome. So before we jump off into the realms of the future, we want to see what's happening right now. Each of our panel have brought along some news stories. Why don't we start with you this time, Ben? What news stories cost your eye? So I've uh, found a news story about a gentleman called Takeo Watanabe, who works at Brown University, and he's found a way of planting false memories in people's minds, similar to the film Inception. And the idea behind it is it's to help people with autism, or depression, that if they start to go into uh, a bad loop of behaviour or a bad loop of thinking, their, uh, their brain can flash up this false memory as a cue to get themselves out of that loop. Well, why do they only get it? Why can't we all have great false memories? All my false memories are rubbish. <laughs> well, I suppose you, you could get it, but you might have to play a premium. Like he could, I, I don't know what the particular memories are. I don't think it's if someone's depressed and they suddenly go, oh, that night when I was hanging out at the Playboy Mansion. And, uh, uh, you know, and also on the same night I scored the winning try in the Six Nations and also did an amazing guitar solo in front of 80,000 people. I don't can, think it's quite like that. Can you fill us in a bit more here? Because this is interesting that, that fictionalizing our life is useful. But then I think everyone fictionalizes their life in some way. Like if you, t well, well, as a comedian, uh, if I'm retelling a story of something that happened to me or I did, 20 to 30% of it will be true, and the other 70% <laughs> of it will be, will be, will be made up and, and be funny. And well, and as a comedian, that doesn't necessarily always make me look better. I think most people fictionalise their lives to make themselves look better. So as a professional autobiographical fictionaliser, <laughs> do you find that actually you can't remember reality as much like is your that's more to do with the drinks i have after the show ah. but i oh that's such a good question i i suppose you wouldn't know actually that's the problem with false memories mm -hmm. is that we don't know if we have we all have them we all definitely have them i know i actually i know my earliest memory is not a real memory what's your earliest memory um i, I know it's not real because i can know what clothes i'm wearing it's in third person and i've seen a photograph of it <laughs> so yeah, like if you've got a memory in third person. And yeah, 
More or less. <laughs> Actually, that by raw chance, I know of a study where they were trying to implant false memories, and one of the ways they did it, they showed people videos of them at Disneyland. Uh, well, sorry, they showed adverts for Disneyland, which featured people having their photographs with Bugs Bunny. Now, Bugs Bunny is an MGM character, so not in Disneyland. And then all the people that they showed the video to, years later, claimed that they had their photo taken with Bugs Bunny. So, you know, we very much... We, that's the reason why everybody now dreams that they're like, uh, you know, living in lands of frost giants and and um, dragons because they're all watching Game of Thrones. And that's what's actually happening. Is there is there an evolutionary advantage to having a conscious and probably I guess a subconscious as well that is so easily manipulable? I don't know. Do you think it, actually? Uh, do you think this might be where culture comes in? Effectively, we end up having a shared memory rather than a memory. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm deeply. Um, deeply uneasy about having sort of memories and things implanted and a sort of a false representation of reality beyond the sort of thing that we construct ourselves. I mean, you know, dreaming, for example. I mean, it's interesting in, in schizophrenia, when somebody's having a schizophrenic episode and they're hearing voices and, and all the rest of it, the bits of the brain that are lighting up now, you, for you listening to me, are lighting up in, in their brain. This is so real, and that's, in a sense, a, a sort of a, 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 a construction of an event that has never occurred. So all memories, at least partial imagination, like we, there's no read-only files in the brain. All memories are edited. This is great stuff, but we're going to have to get moving on. <laughs> um, Catherine, what new stories caught your eye? Um... I have a small child, she's always falling over, and I'm always worrying about her breaking her leg. Is it yours, and... or is this just... <laughs> <laughs> I found one. Tesco, no. <laughs> um, and recently, a lab in Colombia have had some really good success growing bones in the lab. So you would be able to... So they, they did it in pigs. You take a... They were replacing a joint of, a, of the jaw in a pig, just to prove that you can, that you could build a, effectively a biological bone. So you take a, a, you sculpt it out of a cow bone that you've removed all of the cells and the, and the proteins from. So it's a, a scaffold of the, of the calcified material and then implant stem cells, put it in a bioreactor so you can use stem cells from the person who needs the bone. Wow. So you could produce new bone to match any bone that was broken or damaged in the human body, and I think that's going to be really, really powerful technology. Oh, so. I thought you wanted to grow the bones to then prop the child up. So <laughs> But this then becomes a living, uh, real organism, so uh, a part of your body, so that the graft takes and becomes your own bone. So in a child, you could replace a femur that was broken at the age of four, and it would then grow normally with the rest of your body, and so better than steel plates that then need repinning. Is it, it, like, I imagine, just because bone bone looks deader than, say again, bony, yeah, (laughs) but it looks sort of deader than skin and less dynamic than skin. Yeah, it's a very, very living organ bone. It has a lot of tissue inside it, not just the skeletal bit, not just the strength bit. Just where blood is built, among other things. Oh, of course. Is it it easier for a bone to be accepted by the body than, say, an organ or skin? Well, the... The, the solid part of it, as I understand, is, is, is stripped of everything that would be recognised by, by the immune system. So it's just like a scaffold that you would make out of titanium. And then using the stem cells that put back in, it effectively is the same as your own tissue. So it's completely accepted by the, by the body. Wow. And of course, you could engineer the stem cells. So you wouldn't have to put your own stem cells in, but you could put also maybe a better stem cell, have a higher <laughs> bone density, put a, a better pelvis in rather than the, the, the feeble one that we have already. Russell, what's caught your eye in the news? Well, 
although I work on eyes and, and brains and things, I've always loved paleontology. And we're going back to bones, because yeah. I love fossils. And there's an interesting study that's just been published about a huge debate in paleontology, which is, when do the mammals have this fantastic radiation? Were they radiating, were they forming all these different species and different classes and groups and orders um, before the dinosaurs went extinct, or was it the extinction of the dinosaurs that then triggered this huge revolution in, 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 in mammalian evolution? And what do we and, think this week? And this, this week, <laughs> it's the study, um, and they've, they've not modelled it, they've actually looked at the, the bones and the teeth of about 900 different fossils, and they looked uh, over a span of 80 million years before the dinosaurs went extinct, and 10 million years after. And the rate of evolution was three times faster in that 10 million years after the dinosaurs went extinct compared yeah. to the 80 million before. So it's pretty good data. And it's just, if you just think about it, I mean, there's this extraordinary stem group of, group of mammals, this sort of nocturnal, squirrel-like beastie, um, sort of, what's it called, the, the, the Laurasia theria. Um, and from that group, you have most of the placental mammals, so the primates, the carnivores, the, the whales yeah. and dolphins, the, 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 the lot. And so you go from this tiny sort of crepuscular, nocturnal beast to the great diversity of the mammals. I just think that's so cool. And it was, it seems, as a result of the liberating of all those different ecological niches by the death of the dinosaurs. So that's what we need for human evolution to give us 2.0. We need a big catastrophe generate some new niches for us to fill. Well, we've been working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of our ongoing project, in a way, when you say. Yeah, it really, it really is. I'm fascinated by the idea that like, we're always on the hunt for the missing link, but according to what you've said, our uh, original ancestor is a squirrel. Well, basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, we've gone through this extraordinary bottleneck. Everything that we see, this huge diversity, elephants, whales, us, have come from a squirrel-like ancestor that was probably, almost certainly, nocturnal. And, of course, m m many of us are, are, of course, diurnal and, and have adapted, had to re-evolve colour vision, for example. The, 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 the visual pigments that we use to detect green light in the placental mammals are completely different from the green pigments used by a bird or a reptile. We've had to re-evolve them. And that's why, because we went... We were nocturnal. And we, because and we partied to... all night. Yeah. <laughs> we partied all night, Slept yes. Slept all day. And also, yeah. we've, because we're related, going far enough back to squirrels, that's why we uh, like capitalism so much, because they like hoarding nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, put simplistically, maybe that's the problem. We just need to destroy those squirrel pig dogs. Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> do we take this? It oh. is. Well, it's instead of like David Icke saying the world is run by 12-foot shape-shifting lizards, it's actually squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody who's learning about how to cross the road with Tufty now knows that it's an evil <laughs> megalomaniac. Okay, so those are the kind of things that are happening right now, but let's get our scientists here to suggest some ways of improving our species. Uh, why don't we start with you, Catherine? Yeah, well, I'm always on the quest for self-improvement and um, it'd be really nice to be able to go for a jog and have it not hurting. I, I, I kind of am motivated to do exercise and then fail because it's not very pleasant. And then I did see that there's this um, super athlete, his name's called, let me see, Dean Kanazis, I don't know how you pronounce it, and he doesn't get cramp. He can run forever, he claims. He claims the only reason that he has to stop running is that he falls asleep. He's done three days and three nights solid of running without ever getting a cramp. 
And apparently, anecdotally, he has a hyper-elevated lactate metabolism. So cramp is caused when you get lactic acid buildup in your muscles and you have to stop. And he has a super productive way of clearing his lactate. So I thought we could all have that. It's likely that lactate metabolism rides in your mitochondria, particularly in the mitochondria of your liver. But everybody, we've seen in the news we can have three parent babies these days, and one of those is a mitochondria donor. So if we could get hold of this guy Dean's mitochondria, all of our children from now on could have super good mitochondria, lactate clearing, and we could all run forever. It will mean that there's going to have to be a new event in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> like, instead of Le Mans, we're just going to have 24-hour running. 24-hour running if, races. If there's going to be a place for it to happen, though, Britain's it, because if anybody can watch cricket and find it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of infinity run is, is no worse, surely? So have they looked for variations in those mitochondrial genes no. in... You know, great, the, the marathon runners and all that sort of thing. I don't think that it, it's clear, it seems to be clear that people have different yeah. abilities to clear lactate. Um, and, tr- you know, as you, you train to increase your amount of red blood cells when you want to do high performance athletics. And that does also increase, when you're doing high performance training, it also increases the amount of mitochondria you have in each cell. So, mitochondria are separate organelles that live inside, you know, live yeah. inside, are components of your cell, and they can proliferate independently. So, you can get more mitochondria. I have more and better ones, apparently. And what about those sort of plain living um, African animals? Do they have to run for long, long periods? Do they have variants? Do we know anything about their mitochondria? I don't know if we know. If I know, other I know in general are better. people are looking at that. Uh, like that is a thing that's, a, that's an area of research because, um, okay, our, we, we all have <laughs> mitochondria going from our mothers to the same with most of the mammals. Yeah. And they do end up swapping genes between the mitochondria and the DNA. So our mito- we can't just take one of our mitochondria out and put in a mitochondria from a cheetah or something, no. unfortunately, yeah. because there's been that much other transfer. They might have had an origin, which is non-our kind of animal that we're descended from, but they've changed a lot since to make it harder. Do you know, the thing I find most interesting, because, because my, my trouble's never been um, the mitochondria, it's being arsed. <laughs> um, when it comes to running. Like. Well, I just think I would possibly be more asked if it didn't hurt. So Maybe that, you would be okay if you but, thought you could run without pain. But don't you push through the pain? Isn't that sort of oh, nobody about? pushes through the pain. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that going to hurt his, like, affect his muscles and his joints, though? Because I like running, but then eventually my ankles and knees give way. Yes, so. we're going to need good trainers and some new engineering of our joints, but I'm sure that's all covered in Level Up 2.0 Volume 4. <laughs> yeah, so if you get extra cushioning in the heels. Yeah. A bit of extra padding around the knees. And then we can just go. I'm not going to go fast. I'm just going to go. <laughs> okay, Ben, what do you think? Infinity running with new improved lactate. What do we call this? Lactive acid? Lactate, lactate metabolism. Lactate metabolism. I mean, Infinity Run sounds like a summer blockbuster that would nosedive. Um, (laughs) But uh, I am hyper-aware that one of the things that could face humanity in the future is a zombie apocalypse, in which case (laughs) being able to run forever would be really important and really useful. Trouble, of course, because the zombies are also human zombies, aren't they? Oh, but they died ages ago. We haven't engineered those. I mean, some of them are... Dead, okay, with well, 28 days later, they can <laughs> run anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is tricky. Mm. Um, I can't believe this is the technicality <laughs> that we've got hung up on. No, that is, <laughs> that is the technicality. I, well, also, just an, another thing to think of is that, um, I mean, this would be unfair to the person we did it to, but I know that one way of 
um, generating energy is to sort of hook a generator up to a hamster in its wheel. So if you've got an infinity runner and put them in a wheel and they could just run forever and generate lots of clean energy for us. This stuff happened. It was a common, it was a common punishment in some parts of the country that they had a kind of human, human turbines effectively to operate mills back in the yeah. industrial era um, for prisoners. Brilliant. So actually, Let's bring it back as a sin bin for footballers if they dive. <laughs> they could well, do yeah. that and power the floodlights. It'd be brilliant. They're fit people already, yeah. But they lose so much um, uh, moisture, don't they? They lose to sweat horribly, so they have to drink all the time. And, of course, it was very expensive because they had to keep the muscles going. Yeah, but I don't care about footballers. The prisoners <laughs> I care about in this case. But, um, the footballers are already overpaid, so that's a different... Is, hold on, is this in or right, though? That's the important a, thing. I'm, I'm going to say in. In? Ooh, okay, then. Russell, your life's just been made harder. What's your pitch? Okay, well, when you speak to people, they will say, oh, I wish I didn't have to sleep as much. And what I'm yeah. urging for is much, much more sleep. I think as a society from the late 19th century, the 20th century, we've invaded the night, and the first victim of that invasion has been sleep. And we thought of sleep now as this luxury, this indulgence, this sort of stuff that only weak people indulge in. And what we've missed entirely is the real importance of sleep. So much goes on whilst we're asleep that makes the daytime functioning absolutely viable. So if you think about what the brain is doing, the brain is actually integrating information. It's coming up genuinely with new solutions to complex problems. And so many of us have woken in the morning. I think we've, we've had that great solution to an old idea. And that's true. Um, so it's, it's, it's innovation. It's the laying down of memories. It's the brain's regulation of the release of growth hormone. So a, a lot of cell division and cell replication goes on during sleep. It's the rebuilding of metabolic pathways. It's the rebuilding of energy stores. So huge amounts of really important stuff are going on during sleep. And if you don't get sleep, then the brain doesn't work properly. Uh, we can't come up with those innovative solutions to complex problems. We lose empathy. We don't read the signals from others. We become overly impulsive and we do stupid and unreflective things. Um, if we are chronically sleep deprived, we can become depressed. And in fact, sleep disruption can nudge us into a psychiatric illness state. Are you, can, I, can I actually check I, 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 I will. I will let you interrupt. No, no, because I'm just thinking, because, uh, okay, um, this will get cut. But <laughs> if everybody just went to bed a bit earlier, about a week ago, because you're saying about a bit and not reflecting on the future decisions. But, but, but this is a classic example of, of you know, people not reflecting upon the consequences of one's actions. And so, so tiredness is really bad. I mean, drivers are a classic example of that. You know, stuff goes on at four o'clock in the morning that you'd never think of doing um, during the day. In fact, it's the most dangerous accounting for traffic volume. Driving at four o'clock in the morning is the worst time, most dangerous time, time to drive because you do stupid things and you're not vigilant. In that case, so just to, I mean, I don't, I can't think... It, of many famous non-sleepers, but the most famous one is uh, Winston Churchill and also Maggie Thatcher as Winston well. Th no, Winston Churchill used to take his sleep very seriously. And in oh, fact, yeah. there's, there's a lovely um, statement in, in um, a biography I read the other, other day uh, where his wife was saying, as long as Winston gets his eight hours, he's actually perfectly okay. Now, one of the things about not getting enough sleep is long-term sleep is that there's some recent work suggesting that the, the clearance of toxins from the brain um, doesn't occur. And some of the toxins are associated with the build-up of dementia and Alzheimer's. And so there's a suggestion, but it's still early days, that um, lack of sleep can predispose to um, dementia. 
So I think, I think it's, it's fine. There's a lot of good neuroscience that has emerged, which has explained the biology, which means that we can now understand why this isn't some sort of luxury and that so much of the, the daytime activities depend upon the quality of sleep we had at night. I was very, I've, I've always been keen to get you on this show because actually one of the things which has been suggested most by our audience has been to get rid of sleep yeah. or to, to find other ways around it. So how, what's, what's the active way? How do we actually get all these people Wake up, audience. <laughs> How do we get all these people to nap in it, the right way at the right time? It, well, it's not to nap. It's to prioritize sleep. So basically, uh, you need to listen to your own sleep needs. Um, how much sleep do you need? If you're dependent upon an alarm clock to get you out of bed, you're not getting enough sleep. If you're, if you're um, sleepy, if it takes a long time to wake up, if you're grumpy, overly impulsive, if you're dependent upon lots and lots of caffeinated drinks to drive the waking day. And of course, one of the problems of that is that caffeine can last in the body half-life of five to nine hours. And so then there's a the tendency to use alcohol or sedatives at night to induce sleep. Well, what you induce is sedation. These are not biological mimics of sleep. And some of the good things going on in the brain are actually um, impaired. So alcoholics, for example, uh, have real problems uh, developing memory or indeed uh, integrating information. So if we're going to have to change our whole society, one of the yeah. things I'm aware of, because of a conversation we had previously at the time, was how, say, teenagers, like that one who's yawning right now, <laughs> have got very, very different sleep needs yeah. than us. So should he be allowed to go to school lit? Like, should we change okay. the system for young people? I think there's a good argument for a later school start. Um, yes. But it's got to be coupled with good sleep education. Because then the tendency will be just to go to bed later and yes, then do all the Yes, I think you also have stuff. to cancel the internet at 11 o'clock. That's, that's <laughs> so it's fine thing. for you to go to school late, but you can't be on World of Warcraft and after 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the serious thing. And so we're, in fact, involved in a study whereby we've developed education programs for schools to tell kids about the importance of sleep and how to prioritize it. Uh, but, but again, it, it varies in, enormously between individuals. Lots of people think, oh, well, they can just have a little sleep during the week and then massively oversleep at the weekends. You never recover that sleep debt. Um, is, is there yes. a way, could, could we not develop like a sleep credit card? Yes, I was going to say, there is yeah. no sleep bank because when you have small children, it would be great if you could do an extra... 400 hours in the three <laughs> months leading up to childbirth, and then you'd have them in the bank, but that doesn't work. It's, it's, there's a bit of sleep banking, huh? because if you deprive people of slow-wave sleep, deep sleep, which is where a lot of the memory consolidation and, and, and information processing goes on, um, if you selectively wake them up when they fall into that stage, then the next night they'll actually have much more deeper sleep. So, so there is some, but the problem is you can never really um, uh, uh, sort of fill that bank up again by just oversleeping at the weekends. Well, I want to ask as well, I read an article recently about the fact that the way, the, the Industrial Revolution radically changed the way human beings sleep, because I've forgotten the posh word for it, but didn't we used to wake up in the middle of the night? Oh, the watch, was yeah. that the word? Well, no, it was biphasic. I mean, uh, biphasic. So, so if you look at sleep in a pre-industrial age, um, you, you, you hear the, the poets talking about, I had a wonderful second sleep. Well, yes. what the hell does that mean? And of course, if you look at um, uh, societies in South America, which don't have any electric light, then what you see is a two-hour settling down at around about twilight. So people were, were sort of lying in a relaxed state for a couple of hours. Then there'd be four hours of consolidated sleep. Then there would be maybe wake up for half an hour or an hour, wander around, another four hours of sleep, and then a two-hour transition um, uh, 
to wake. And that's, and in fact, many of us, if we were to be taken into a room where there was only 12 hours of light and 12 hours of uh, dark, we would throw back to that biphasic pattern. Which is interesting, because lots of people who wake up in the middle of the night think, oh my goodness, that's yeah. it. I might as well just forget it and get up and have a cup of coffee. Actually, they just need to stay calm. Keep the lights, <laughs> stay calm, stay calm. Keep the lights low. Um, and uh, chances are they might fall back to sleep again. And what is, what is it that dictates how much sleep an animal needs? Because obviously sloths need... Oh, I think that's a fantastic question because it's at the heart of why we sleep. And the argument is, I think, is, I think the scientists have been a bit naughty about it because you see endless papers about the reason for sleep. And it isn't, there isn't a single overarching explanation. All creatures have a biological clock and we have decided to be evolved to be either day active or night active or some slice in between. And we've evolved specializations, you know, a visual system that works during the night or works during the day. And if you're active and around at the wrong time, then you're lunch. So once having made the evolutionary decision to be active at a particular time of day and have all those specializations, we then have to assign a whole bunch of critical housekeeping functions to the particular phase of the rest activity cycle. So if you've got a big brain and you've got to lay down memory, why don't you do it offline when it's not going to be confused with all this new information coming in? Uh, if you've been active and you've built up all those toxins, clear them after you've built up the toxins. So, so sleep is a, is a, is a stage of, of relative immobility where a whole bunch of essential house, housekeeping uh, uh, activities are going on. So bear in mind that Ben is a comedian <laughs> who um, does quite a lot of work on evenings and mm -hmm. nights. And I'm, I've been an insomniac, sort of, for as long as I can remember. I frequently, I'll have one night a month thereabouts where I get nothing, I reckon. How do you fix us? Well, your sleep patterns will change a bit. So as you age, you'll become less of a late person and more of a morning person. That doesn't help the comedian, though. No, Remember, this is your pitching. No, no but work. I mean, that's why your peak years are probably now there. Um, so. <laughs> Please do let my agent know that. <laughs> Sorry to be indiscreet. Um, <laughs> so, but but it's, all, it's, it's about making the bedroom also a place of relaxation and not a place of entertainment. I mean... So, oh, well, well, I got married. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's got to be quiet, it's got to be dark, it's not going to be too warm. I mean, there's, there's huge, there's loads of dodgy practices going on in British bedrooms. Because, <laughs> in, not just the politicians. <laughs> in terms of, you know, not getting it right, because there's stuff full of things that keep us awake. Um, and, and also, what's the, it's extraordinary, because light will, will increase alertness um, and, and therefore delay sleep onset. What's the last thing we all do before we go to bed? We stand in the most lightly, uh, brightly lit room, uh, the bathroom, looking into an illuminated mirror, cleaning our teeth. That increase of light will increase levels of alertness and delay sleep onset. It's just knowing about the tricks to try and take control of your sleep. So Clean actually, your teeth yeah. in the dark. Yeah. Or under, under dimmer light, yes. Okay. <clears throat> well, okay, after that um, incredible ending of flattery, yeah. <laughs> the used of telling your best years are now and fading. Um, <laughs> what do you think of this idea? Is that my shortlist? I mean, this is tricky because my current choices are between running away and sleeping more, <laughs> and I'm a fan of both of those things. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna consider. When, so when do you think I should, we should sleep more? Just generally speaking, or can we, can we get into double digit sleeping? I think we need to go to bed earlier, um, so that when the alarm clock. Um, gets us out of bed, or ideally when we wake naturally from sleep, we've, we've, we've repaid our sleep debt. 
Can, is there is there a cheating way? I know that's because because this is a podcast about human enhancement, so we're effectively using technology and biology to cheat. Okay. Is there a way to beat it? I think there are ways in which we can probably change sleep wake timing, because that's one of the great problems. I'm-, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Some people tend to be very late or very early, and in conditions such as schizophrenia, or if you have no eyes and no way of locking on the internal day to the external world, there's, you know, the, the clock will just drift through time, the sleep-wake cycle will drift through time. And I think now we are in a position in the next five years to have some really good drugs whereby we can mimic the effects of light on the clock and the sleep systems to set make them stable and not have them wobble all over the place. So we do have a good fix, actually. So we have starting it and then going. I think we have, I think we have, yeah, I think we have potential. But are we ever going to have a be able to take a pill that will take away sleep? No, because as we discussed, sleep is so many important and varied things. So what you've got actually, what your pitch really is, is actually is a means of fixing the sleep and then we do it naturally. Yeah, because yeah, I've got, I've got yeah. a little, one last question before I decide, is that, is, I, I don't know if this is a fallacy or not, but I've been told... Um, sleep before midnight. If I start sleeping before midnight, it counts more than if I go to bed after midnight. It's, it's really interesting. I don't really know the answer to that. But if you look at the sleep structure and you've got REM and non-REM sleep, mm-hmm. um, and the deepest sleep tends to occur during the first half of the sleep episode, and that's where memory consolidation and information processing goes on, and the second half of the sleep episode is REM sleep. Or, we, you know, we, we do more REM sleep. And that te- that's been associated with sort of emotional processing and things. So if you want to consolidate memory and come up with good ideas, um, then sleep early in the, in, in, in the sleep cycle is probably better for you. Right, that's decided it for me. Because as a comic, I want to come up with good ideas and I also want to consolidate memory. Yep. So I only need about four or five hours sleep for that. Whereas all the stuff about emotional processing, well, the whole reason I'm a comic is because I can't process my emotions. <laughs> so, uh, so I dismiss that idea out of hand. Oh. <laughs> as, as, what, as articulately as you put it forward. And it was fascinating. But I'm a nighttime person. I don't need my sleep. But do you know what you're doing to yourself? If only he'd slept on it. But sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's, yeah, I had four hours last night. That was a mistake. So, okay, audience, you're going to have to do better than this. Catherine is the one to beat currently. 
Our audience here at the Amy Theatre at Oxfordshire Science Festival, get your hands in the air, we'll get a microphone to you. Bob Taylor. Um, so I was wondering, uh, what about increasing the temperature range that humans can live within? So right now, our core temperature, if it varies above 37 point something degrees, we're dead, usually. Um, but camels have variants of about 6 degrees, I believe, Celsius. Um, so if we increase that for humans, you need less air conditioning, less heating, lower bills, save the planet, usual stuff. So is it deliberately actually what you're aiming for is not the just the surviving at the height, but being able to keep our thermostat a little bit down? Yeah, yeah. So you've got a greater range of comfort, basically. They right have now. found recently that a lot of offices would appear to be inherently sexist because they keep them at the temperature that men like rather than the temperature that women like. <laughs> is that because they try to alter it, but the men just keep going to the thermostat and changing it? <laughs> it, it might be a slight difference in what was considered to be office clothing for both men and women. So skirts are still a thing, and of course that involves having a bit more... Draft. Of, yeah, draft. And... <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the word I was going to use, funny enough. Uh, but if you like... So would this, I suppose this would also help solve that kind of problem. What do you think, panel? Increased body temperature. Well, well, well it's not no, no, it, yeah, it's survive. Yeah. More to survive. Okay. A greater so, so I guess the problem would be, great, if, you, if, you, if it's hot, then, then you can function more effectively. But a camel, of course, functions at high temperature by sweating more, um, or, 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 or through its sort of uh, loss of water vapour through its, its mouth and things. Um, but I think it would, if you, if you had, if you had to function when it was low temperature, then it means the muscles couldn't work, then all of the other meta metabolic processes would slow down. So although you might feel okay, your ability to function would be impaired. So I'm kind of a bit iffy on that one. This is kind of your area actually as well, because I know that what you're saying about one of the stories in mammals, this has come up sort of yeah. through both your ideas there, was that we are the creatures of the night. You know, mm. and that, that was why we exist. And perhaps one of the reasons why we became warm-blooded in the first place was to take well, we could act. We could turn our calories in, into heat um, because, after all, we needed it because we were functioning when the temperature was low. Absolutely. But why, why actually, in that case, is 37-ish the magic number? Uh, it's not for all mammals. Bats have a higher body temperature, I believe. But we're looking for something with lower because that's what lower. we wanted to save the plant. Oh, yeah, we need to be lower to save the planet. Yeah. Um... Well, surely, because I, the, the way I understood that as well is cause, because the temperature on the planet is going to rise, so it's not just a matter of our body temperature. You'd also want to be able to withstand higher temperatures. Would, you, would the temperature that's in your body change yeah, help you, you? You don't want to have to use air conditioning either, actually. Is that right, Bob? Yeah. yeah. So we can tolerate higher temperatures better. So being more tolerant is effectively what you're saying. Temperature tolerant. <laughs> Temperature tolerant. Well, um, I'm a Geordie, so I'm already temperature tolerant. I, uh, I don't need to worry about cold temperatures, but I, th I think that's a pretty good one, considering that the Earth is about to turn into a giant ball of flame in the next 50 years. So temperature tolerant is in. We yes. should point out to our listeners at home, Ben is only just, wearing a vest. Just temperature tolerance gets in, and sleep doesn't. <laughs> this, is, this is not right. Actually, particularly bearing in mind clothing exists. Like, yes. That's the sort of thing. We, we do they, have take off but you jumper. can't take anything off once you're naked. Well, you can, but you'll really hurt yourself. <laughs> but you can so if we're going to tolerate hot temperatures, but if you're doing that with hot air, it's... Oh, okay. So, hold on, is, is this in? I think it seems useful. Well done, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Hi, uh, so I'm Vincent. Um, Vincent. I think what 
humankind would need in the future is to be able to communicate better, but also humankind needs to keep like regional specificities. So you cannot have a universal language because then you would lose this universal specificity uh, of each different country in each different place. But then learning all the other languages in the world would be extremely complicated and you would just waste so much time. So I think we should have like a chip that you can implant in your brain. Uh, that's like a package. You can buy like the Mandarin package or you can buy the Portuguese package or anything. And you just implant that chip, that chip in your brain and you just know that language. So, so it's when you go traveling... It's Babelfish, isn't it? Babelfish, yeah. This might be tricky actually because I've often, I've often wondered this because... We don't actually communicate with words, do we? Well, we, we okay, we do. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I suppose what I'm meaning is that we don't think in words. We don't, like, it's, there's, there's many words that just don't translate, like gazillig in, in Danish. Isn't that a word for a kind of warm... Oh, it's, it's Dutch. Gezellig. Dutch. Yeah. Can, can you say that with less phlegm? Gazellig. <laughs> Gazellig. Yeah. Okay, so... It, it means sort of like a warm communal feeling, sort of when you're sat with your family round the fire at Christmas time, all wearing matches Christmas jumpers. That's Kazeli. Okay, but that's, that's an example of a word that we don't have quite an equivalent yeah. for, and we have to have that kind of sentence. So how do, how do we get those things to work, do you think, Vincent? Like, bearing in mind that, that that variation inherently means that no one can... So we can just avoid using these words. <laughs> <laughs> so you're now arguing for less communication yeah. rather than more communication. You can just have a crappy Christmas and then you don't really <laughs> use this word. A couple, a couple uh, of years ago, I tried to read the dictionary and uh, I failed to begin with. But the, the, one of the things that really hit me was, of course, Britain being an island and English language having originated from here, was how many nautical words we had. Like, I barely got out of sea or whatever it was, and I'd learned so many words for bits of rigging and stuff I didn't care about. And I started thinking about how, you know, language might be imprinting. And all the Northern Irish and Irish words I know that you guys don't have over here all involve either being cold or drunk. <laughs> so, so maybe actually where you're going to add and subtract these words will tell us about culture. Hmm. Does words, do words affect how we think? Well, I think they do, because the sorts of words... I'm sorry to be a sleep bore, but the, <laughs> the, but the diversity of language we use is increased after a good night of sleep. Our ability to express ourselves is increased after a good night of sleep. So I think they, they matter very much, because you, if you can communicate with a level of sophistication to your colleagues of your sort of subtlety, and it's all about subtlety, it's not the big stuff, it's, it's, the, it's the little things that, that we need to communicate to each other. So you, but your, your idea here, because you're, what you're effectively suggesting is this kind of Babelfish equivalent, but it's still only getting the words rather than the meanings. We, is there a way of perhaps no, but I think the idea is that it's translating your thoughts into spoken language, and therefore the fact that there isn't a word for cuddling warmness in English it just wouldn't matter. Words, yeah. It would use lots of... Yeah, it would be able to it. identify whatever that word was. Yeah, which, well, that's it. If it, was, if it was the ability to communicate a particular... Feeling like you say, not through language, that'd be really good because God knows we need more, some more empathy. Hmm. But I don't, I don't sort of get rid of language and lose all these particularly idiosyncratic words because that's the, the beauty of it. Well, actually, okay, because um, this is why we're sort of debating this. Why not just get rid of language and have this universal have one, telepathy? Have one language or what, telepathy? Or, but, you know, because well, if you're going to have this download mechanism. If you're having this thing where you're already implanting yeah. things to brains, is there any other means of more accurate? Like, I know we'll lose poetry, big deal. But, you know, is there a... <laughs> oh, you can oh yes, all professional poets in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Sorry. You it can telepathically right. transfer poetry. You can think me a poem. Would it be the same though? Like the the other thing is you'd have to. Would you have to have a similar chip for body language? Because, <laughs> because like if, yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> um, like different different um, gestures mean different things in different parts of the world. Can we get a microphone as well? Okay, I, I understand the point here, but I suppose I'm taking it off this a funny angle of where I was going I think one of the negative things is that you never could lie to a person. They would always kind of know what you were thinking, right? You know, because there is, I guess, you know, you couldn't just be like, oh, how does this dress look at me? Oh. And lies are important. <laughs> well, and also, you would take away a stand-up comedian's opening line going on stage going, I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Already. <laughs> Gone. Give him a big. Actually, hold on. Is that in or not? Uh, I mean, it's caused far too much confusion amongst us, so that's out. Okay. Oh. Give him a round of applause. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Running low on time, but there was more. Uh, hands up. Who is next? Could we go to this lady, please? One thing I've always wanted to do is to go into space, and it would be awesome if we could travel in space and not die in a vacuum. Not die in a vacuum. You're not asking much, are you? Quite <laughs> yeah. Claire. Claire, what do you want to travel a vacuum? There are two problems with vacuums. There's a lot, lack of oxygen and, and pressure. So we wouldn't aid if we went into <laughs> vacuum. Yeah. Referring to an earlier conversation yeah. about the dangers of oxygen. So well, we you'd would also need... boil, though, wouldn't you? you would, but the, the, yeah. the problem is, though, is the pressure means that the, the gases which are dissolved in your Vaporize. blood yeah. vaporise and you effectively boil. So your blood does boil, a bit like <laughs> whenever you do something. Me on a Monday morning when I get yeah. to How do you feel about space travel? I'm furious! <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there are two technological problems to overcome there, I think. I think your biggest issue is that you're missing that space is quite big. Yeah, that's the idea. So you're going to have to be, this sort of thing that you're prepping yourself for, so like, like, rather than doing what we do currently, which is adapting space to fit us rather than adapting us to fit space, we, we do that for a purpose because the things that we get moving in move very fast. If you're just going to go swimming in the cosmos, you're At going to the be speed there. Of light. Oh, okay, you shouldn't say that. You didn't say that. But I think it was implicit, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, time travel. Okay, so now you've, uh, yeah, yeah. Russell, now you've just made it that you have to justify yourself instead here. Come on, why, why this, how are we going to throw up the speed light? How is this? Oh, oh, oh well, I, I, was, I was merely suggesting that if one had the ability to, there's no point in being able to live in space, in this vacuum, unless you could move through it at great speed. And the only speed in space worth traveling is the speed of light. Now... How you do it, um, that's a bit more tricky. I we, mean, if Brian Cox are here, he'd probably tell us. Well, we um, have, we've, we've got biologists, though, because there are creatures that have survived in space. One of my favorite um, sort of experiments that they're doing all the time on the International Space Station is where they get these extremophiles, these things that can survive in extreme environments. I just open the door, leave them outside for a bit. <laughs> these are the tardigrades, are they? Things like yeah. tardigrades. Um, yeah. And Dinococcus radiogerans. Dinococcus radiogerans. That's called on the bacterium, isn't it? Yes. But they don't travel at the speed of light, but they could live in a vacuum. So yeah. they've only got to solve one problem. Then most of them end up going, so they, they get rid of all the water in their bodies, in most cases, is one of the ways they solve it. Well, yeah, they probably wet themselves, going, God, I'm out on the wing in space. <laughs> so, yeah, so extreme desiccation gets around the boiling problem, because yeah. if you don't have liquid in you, then... So coconut can travel yeah. this <laughs> Remarkably well. Is this in? Preparing ourselves, just like... Going for a swim in the cosmos? Um, no, this is lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd love to go into space, but I'm quite happy in a spacesuit. Sorry, Claire. Have you ever been in a spacesuit? 
No. They're very uncomfortable. Yeah, but sh I mean, surely that's something we're going to improve. It's over better the next than boiling. Years. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just I love the idea that there's a spaceman going, oh, do you know what? It's a bit warm in here. I'd just love to strip <laughs> off. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable to be willing to try it. Give her a big round of applause. Thank you. And please that go on the denim, please. Um, hi, I'm Seisha, and what I'd really like is programmable T cells just to um, deal with new and dangerous um, diseases because actually. As, as humans, we can have immune responses to un previously undiscovered diseases, but quite often they're not good enough to actually combat the disease. And also looking at things like um, malignant tumours, we could yes. possibly have uh, T-cells that could target those, so cancer would no longer be an issue. When you started that, I thought you were just going to try and get programmable cells to make tea. But <laughs> what, what you're suggesting is way, way better. So what you're effectively, if I'm getting this right... This is a sort of downloadable immunity, bypassing the need for vaccines and things. Yeah. Panel, what do you reckon? What's, first of all, what's a T-cell? So T-cells are part of your immune system which target and kill um, pathogens within your body. So Because actually people are working on this, more or less, as far as I know, and particularly using genetic techniques. Is there any way of doing this? So um, immune therapy is a very um, major area of research at the moment, particularly in cancer. Um, it, it's difficult because it relies on us understanding a lot about how those cells identify their targets and what are the right targets that we would select to target and kill because obviously the problem with cancer cells is as they're derived from us, they show on the surface of themselves lots of markers, but those markers are also in other cells in our body. Mm. So if you target your T-cell against what you think is your perfect cancer target and then you find out that that target is also on another tissue of the body, you can have unexpected and unwanted side effects. So it's, I think, engineering our immune system to, to detect and destroy invaders, whether they're internal invaders like cancer cells or viruses or pathogens, is certainly something we're going to get better at over the next 20 years. And as research is coming more and more, trying to identify which are the key flags that are put up by the bad guys that aren't there in the normal cells around us to make sure that you can make those drugs, immunotherapies, as they tend to be called, really specific and not dangerous, is, is what we're doing in the, in the labs. How does one program a cell? Because I, mean, I, I don't understand how you program a computer... Like in the, but I can un at least understand that's a machine, so I'm teaching a machine to do a certain thing, but this is clearly programming organic material. Yes, it is. So I told you at the beginning of what, what my research is interested in, how our cells are the same as each other. Yeah. But what immune cells do is they are not the same as each other. So they take our ordinary genome and they shuffle it. They use cassettes to load in new pieces of genetic information to make really diverse cells which have, can respond to different um, threats in the body, and that's what the immune system is doing. It's, 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 an evolution. it's an evolutionary process. So you make lots of different um, cell, immune cells which are able to find different targets, and then those which get activated because they find a target then can multiply and proliferate. And there are some ways in which we can already um, do sort of sharing of sort of immunity. Um, so one of the things I've been wondering for a little while now is because breast milk, you can share a kind yes. of immunity with a child. And surely back in our ancient past when actually like there was multiple wet nurses, when people probably passed the babies around, I often wondered, did that mean the baby's got a kind of whole village's immunity? So actually, maybe we just need to find you a mama. <laughs> <laughs> 
Would you be interested in some rice pudding? <laughs> I'll have to pass on this one, I'm afraid. Well, actually, that's the kind of thing, because we're, we're going to, everything comes with a cost, you know, to try and find these programmable means, actually perhaps finding, okay, I'm being facetious of the milk, but a means of actually sharing immunity might be one of the best means for this. How else could we do it? Because I know milk is one of the ways, and that's not T cells as such, is it? That's mostly antibodies. It might be T cells as well. I'm not sure. It's, I think it's mostly antibodies, but I'm not an expert at all. Um, I guess with T cells, mm -hmm. it would be perfectly possible to, well, once you've got the T cell that's good, yes. you just have to look at what it's receptive. So you look at how it, so it's, it's very unique, the T cell. It's, 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 it's got the ability, because it's changed genetically, it's got the ability to recognize a particular target. If you can identify which that is, now we can read its genome. Its genome will be slightly different from the rest of you, so we can clone it. There's no reason why, once we identify a good T cell that's great at catching HIV virus, we can't identify that T cell and make lots of them and inject them into all of us. That is technology which is effectively available to us now. It's complicated and expensive, but it's doable. Uh, so I actually work with antibodies, and uh, which are you know parts of your immune system which are soluble, and they're just kind of like lying around in your blood, which your um, which your B cells make, which are similar to T cells. And um, uh, actually, some of the new drugs that are coming out here to kind of tackle like Ebola and things like this, they are just pure antibodies that are derived from people that survived Ebola, and we figure out exactly what this antibody is and exactly what it's targeting. And then you just make a whole bunch of it in, for example, in uh, they make it in plants, and then we just oh, make good. it, you know, then you just inject it into yourself. I thought you were about to say we were milking them. That's why I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get them making them plants? How do we get a plant to make human um, So you basically you uh, engineer a um, a agrobacteria, which basically uh, has the gene for this particular antibody, and you just make the bacteria inject this into the plant. And then the plants start to actually produce the antibody. Um, yeah. Vegetarian human antibodies. Perfect. So this can mm -hmm. happen, though there's equivalence. Is this in the shortlist, then? Um, this sounds too useful not to put on the shortlist. And um, Catherine was talking about uh, programming the cells to attack invaders. So as long as we could set up a video screen to make it look like space invaders, <laughs> then I am absolutely on board with this. Perfect. Can you give Sasha a round of applause? Good boy. We're running low on time, so we've got one final suggestion coming from Mother Nature herself. Uh, I'd like to see what kind of genes would we like to steal from this. Can you describe this to people at home, please, Ben? Uh, this looks like uh, a dolphin. It is a dolphin. Is that it, was easy, that one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> is it bottlenose or just a... Well, actually, it's dolphins as a whole in this case, and actually, I suppose I'm, I put this one up specifically for Russell, because dolphins have got a very good means of keeping going and dealing with their sleep. They certainly have. Um, so they have what's called unispheric sleep. So because they're moving all the time, um, then one half of the brain can be asleep and the other active, and then they can flip backwards and forwards. It's absolutely amazing. And in fact, some marine mammals, which uh, when, when they're in the water, like seals, for example, they have this unispheric, uh, unispheric um, uh, sleep. Uh, but when they become terrestrial again, then they have bi-hemispheric um, uh, sleep. So it's amazing. Could, could we do something similar? Like, would there be some way of... Because, look, I've thought of many... Yeah. Do you know, even if it's just a really bad movie I'm watching, I thought, you know, I could see this and be sort of not here at the same time. Um, I don't see why not. I think that's an interesting idea, because we've got these two halves that talk to each other, and maybe we could have one half going off to sleep and the other not. That's not daft. 
I'm Could sure my husband does that when I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> When you're talking to him, <laughs> would, would that mean if we had, if we had unis, say again, it's unis, unispheric sleep. Unispheric yeah. sleep, because well, our different sides of our brain have different skill sets. So if you had one side sleeping, then you'd be more creative while you were awake, and then the creative side would go to sleep and you'd be more... Yeah, I mean, there's, that's overplayed. I mean, there's, there's right. sort of the whole left brain, right brain. There's not a lot of good data to support that. Oh, okay. What so. would we lose by this, then? What, what do we need our brains talking to each other for? Oh, of course, we've got a brain person here. <laughs> Can we get a microphone to her quick? Wait, 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 wait. You're awesome. So we're, we want you as much as we can. Uh, yeah, I'm an eye person rather than a brain person. But... Um, you two should talk. Do you two know each other? Oh, I work in Russell's department. Oh, that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, I don't even want to say anything. <laughs> um, but if you, if you had half your hemisphere switched off, you'd lose half your vision because it's literally half gone. But there is a bit, there is crossover though, isn't there? So you'd have some, but it wouldn't be quite as, 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 um, Complicated, I guess. But well, then when you have stroke a... patients, though, yeah. when you have stroke patients, they lose half, literally half their visual field from both eyes I, I because half of your fibers from each eye cross over and go to the opposite side of the brain. I am aware of those experiments where people have had, you know, split brain experiments where they've they've ended up eating half of a plate of food and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the way that they then deal with that is they move the plate. We can move our heads. You know. <laughs> if it means well, that... Would you want to be on the road with those drivers? I think we already are on the road with some of those drivers. <laughs> okay, there's going to be a cost for most of these things, but I'm just sort of thinking, like, there's plenty of jobs I did, particularly in my student days, where if I could sleep while doing them, <laughs> I'd have loved it. I was once, a, I once worked in a well-known sandwich chain, and um, I don't think I was awake for any of that, to be honest. <laughs> so you think we should employ, employ dolphins to make sandwiches? <laughs> Why not? They're already in the tuna in some cases. So, yes. Oh, oh, oh not oh. anymore. Oh, I didn't know there was any dolphins in. What was that? Also, dolphins are rubbish, if we're going to be like that. They're evil, horrible, rapey, murdery. They run protection rackets. It's the reason we know they're intelligent, because they're mean and nasty, actually. And very pro-Brexit, I heard. <laughs> Again, cut, but worth it, wasn't it, really? Yeah, dolph dolphins are awful. That's one of the reasons we know they're smart. It's a good way of telling, actually, the species is smart, is look to how mean and nasty it can be to each other. One of the arguments of why we've got such a, a big brain is, is to be able to uh, deceive, to look for deception in others. So, actually, maybe if we've got one half our brain shut down, we're stupid enough to be honest. <laughs> so, hold on, is that in unispheric sleep? sleep? Yeah, unihemispheric sleep. Unihemispheric uni sleep. sleep, yes. Uh, I mean, it's such a <clears throat> remarkable talent, it's got to be in. Okay, then, Ben, you've made it hard. You've got three to choose from. You've got Bob's idea of a temperature. Oh, sorry. No, I've got four, four to choose from. Ah, uh, oh, ever run. Catherine's idea of being able to switch on a means of changing our lactate metabolism. We have been temperature tolerant, so we can survive at different temperatures. We've got programmable T cells and uh, ways of altering our immune system so we can tackle anything. And we've then got amazing dolphin sleep. There's, oh. there's, Simon, there's, there's one more I feel I, I should say from Oh, from, from our audience. What have you got there? Uh, this is from Pat. And in answer to the question, how would you make humans better and why, he said, I'd make them all Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, you know. Well, <laughs> considering the fact that in exactly a week's time, Wales might be in the final of the European Championships, and as any Castle fan and an Englishman, I will never, ever see my team win a trophy ever. 
I'm very tempted to make us all laugh. Make us all... Again, that's not going to cut, unfortunately. That, won't, yes. that won't cut. Um, oh, God, Say something is... funnier. No pressure. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So hold on. Do you want, what would be the advantage? Actually, what would be the advantage to being Welsh? Are there any Welsh people in the Do audience that would like to answer that? Because <laughs> I, I think there's some really nice things. Like uh, got... the word kunch. Kunch? Kutch. The word kutch. Welsh people have got kutch. It's a word for a nice particular type of cuddle. Oh. So if we're going to have like, I think that's a good enough reason to be Welsh, actually. I think the Welsh have also got um, uh, the word for exit is the word Alan. It's <laughs> exit is it's A L A N, so it's impossible to be called Alan in Wales because if you're at a party and go, "Hello, I'm a family. This is my husband, Alan." All right, I'll go then if that's your idea. <laughs> I um, also, you know, they've got a good pack mentality. Uh, the Welsh. A pack mentality. No, not pack. No, like like they, you know, well, look at. Sorry to bring it back to the football, but look at the way an entire stand is doing close harmony singing together. They're not just going, who ate all the pies? Or well, they are, but they're doing it in five-part harmony. It's astonishing. <laughs> so actually, yeah, the singing voice. That'd be great. Oh, I thought you were suggesting something. You were just pointing. Um, okay, you're going to have to choose, though. Okay, so um, I, the dolphin thing is tempting, but as you said, they are devious creatures, so they are out. Um, I think that... T like temperature control sounds good, but the the actual scientists on the panel said that that is not going to be practical, so that's out. So I'm between being able to run forever or program T cells. I think we're going to program T cells, and what we're going to do is that we're going to turn it into the new Call of Duty game, rather do it up than Space Invaders. So when our kids are up at three in the morning, sort of zapping things in their computers, they are actually genuinely curing people. Um, so that is, that's what I'm going to go yeah, for, okay. programming T-cells. Thank you, yeah. Sasha. Yeah. How does it feel to have got Ben's approval? I've been trying all my life. <laughs> Quite good, considering I've only just failed my GCSEs. But... <laughs> right, hang on, I revoke that. <laughs> what, 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 what one? Anyone's particular? No, no, I've just taken my exams and I'm waiting for my results, so it's a bit tense. Oh, so you haven't failed them. Not with ideas like that. Actually, bearing in mind that doesn't exist yet, though. That shouldn't be in any <laughs> curriculum. Yeah, if you crossed out all of the questions on your biology exam and then just wrote programmable T-cells in big red pen. <laughs> well, okay, you heard it here first. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take that idea and add it like alloys to the ladder of life. Before we go, I want to give you a huge round of applause to our wonderful guests. We've had Ben Vanderveld, we've had Catherine Green, we've had Russell Foster and the amazing audience here at the Amy Theatre for Oxford Science Festival. This has been Level Up Human. I'm your host, Simon Watt. Thank you and good night. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. Hello, Level Up Human listeners. I'm Barry McStay. And I'm Ben Vanderveld. And we'd love you to listen to Worst Foot Forward, our podcast all about failure. Each week, we are joined by a guest to discuss the world's worst something. From superhero to astronaut, psychological treatment to mythical creature, we dive into humankind's darkest depths in search of the absolute pits. We've even got an episode featuring Level Up's host, Simon, sharing astonishingly grim facts about the worst parasites in the world. It's a menagerie full of cookie-cutter sharks, tongue-eating insects, and Tasmanian devils having a horrible time. On Worst Foot Forward, we've learned why rocks aren't really hard, why lacrosse can cause military catastrophes, and what cheese pairs best with seagull wine. 
while also uncovering hordes of rampaging mink, brothels shaped like vaginas, and why Pac-Man is the sexiest bunch of pixels you've ever set eyes on. Subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow us on Twitter, at Worst Foot, and join us for some fun-filled zero worship. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.